Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. This week on Vroom, I chat to Kyle Ride and Tati Mercado, the British rider and the Argentinian, both youngsters in the superbike world. Kyle, of course, winning for the very first time in British superbikes at Silverstone, and Tati Mercado, the former Superstock 1000 champion, who is racing this year in World Superbike for Motocorsa Ducati. As ever, we start this week's episode of Room with a look back at the last seven days in the motorsport world, starting with the German Superbike Championship. Jonas Folger, who will be making his World Superbike debut at the Catalan Round this coming weekend in Barcelona, took another victory on his Bonovo Yamaha. Six wins from six from the German, and he's now definitely got one finger on the German Superbike Championship. He's made no mistake uh, throughout this season. And he's been very, very open and very forthright about hoping that he can move into World Superbike full-time in 2021. will be interesting to see how Folger gets on uh, at Catalonia this weekend. A new round, of course, for everybody in World Superbike. But it was another double win at the Lausitz Ring for the former MotoGP rider. Switching from uh, the IDM German Championship to Formula One, it was another win and a step closer to another world title for Lewis Hamilton in Mugello. The Tuscan Grand Prix, three safety cars, two red flags. Uh, Lewis Hamilton taking the win from his Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas with Alexander Albon taking the final podium position after pipping Danny Ricciardo on the final stint. Heartbreak for Williams. It looked as though George Russell was going to score his first World Championship points. He was running ninth ahead of the Ferrari of uh, Sebastian Vettel but in the restart it all went a little bit pear-shaped and he finished in 11th position so no points on the board for George Russell but uh, another massive leap towards another world championship for Lewis Hamilton. We return, uh, or we stay in Italy, should I say, for the MotoGP race, the San Marino Grand Prix, held once again at the Misano World Circuit, Marco Simoncelli, and uh, it was a fantastic weekend. A victory in Moto3 for John McPhee, and a tweet from the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, just showing how popular uh, John McPhee uh, and his results have been. Uh, the government of Scotland getting involved and tweeting congratulations to John McPhee. Luca Marini, he took a win in Moto2 to keep himself well in contention for the Moto2 World Championship. Remy Gardner, who had, uh, well, was due rather to start on pole position, suffered a monster crash in the morning warm-up. He uh, is now on his way to Barcelona to be operated on. We're not sure whether or not uh, Remy Gardner will take place in the next round. It was a great ride in Moto2, of course, for Sam Lowe's as well. He uh, got a penalty for following a collision in Austria a couple of weeks ago, started from the pit lane and fought his way through to finish eighth. Uh, had it not been for that penalty, then surely Sam would have been in the fight for the podium and maybe would have made it to British winners. 
Talking of winners and first-time winners, Frankie Morbidelli, the protégé of Valentino Rossi, took his first ever MotoGP win on Sunday to become the first ever rider, the first ever champion, should I say, from the Superstock uh, 600 championships to win in the MotoGP World Championship. Heartbreak for Fabio Quattararo. He crashed out uh, and it means that as we head into the second of the races in Misano this coming weekend, that it's Andrea De Vizioso on the Ducati that leads the World Championship. Up first this week on Vroom is a rider that I've known uh, for a few years. I uh, worked with him uh, back in his super sport days. Uh, but he's, uh, he's way, way uh, in a different uh, stratosphere now. He's a, a super bike race winner. Kyle Ride uh, is dialing in from uh, his home. Kyle, good to see you, mate. Um, good to chat to you. And first of all, congratulations. Double race winner in British Superbike. Who would have thought it? Definitely not me. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was a good weekend. Everything clicked really from Friday. No moments. And um, that was it. Friday, the bike was perfect. And uh, we just carried it on all the way through the weekend. I felt like I could have even got the triple and... Uh, but it set me up good for getting the second on Saturday and uh, Sunday gave me a bit of a kick up the backside to uh, try and get my first win. And I won't say luckily, but luckily for me, I, I got two. <laughs> no, it's mega, mate. And obviously you're fourth in the championship now. And uh, what does that do to, to you? Obviously, you know, we'll talk a little bit through through the chat today. You know, you, you've had some some rough times. You walked away from the sport, like we, we spoke in the past to, to Scott Redding. You know, you fell out of love with racing, but you came back. And since you've come back, there's this renewed confidence this self-belief that that I've known from from back in the day when you were riding with um with, with Craig and you were on the podium in, in world super sport so you know these double wins prove that you you can mix it with the best yes it just sometimes it takes people a lot longer if not years to get back to that point which is obviously what the case was with me but now I've got experience with having bad years or bad meetings I know how to deal with it a little bit better and hopefully the 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 time frame is a lot less. Maybe it's just a couple of bad weekends and then you're back to normal. But yeah, as you said, I've not really felt as good as what I did in 2015 at World Supersport when I finished on the podium. The only time I've really felt as good as that is probably last year when I won the GP2 Championship. So in a time frame, that's probably three and a half years of feeling rubbish, really. So that was half the reason why I packed in in 2018 because I just thought you know what, it's not for me. I'm not getting what I want out of it and I'm not happy and if my family's not happy. Sponsors don't seem to be happy even though they keep sponsoring me. Just all sorts of stuff go for your head. You think your sponsors are just doing it for the sake of it because they feel bad if they'd say no and all sorts of just rubbish stuff that you don't need in your head. And like you said, since I since I come back, my, my mind's been completely different and I've been happy ever since. No, I think it's it's great to see. And obviously, for those that are listening, we get quite a lot of car listeners now, car fan listeners, uh, because of the nature of the podcast. So I want to just turn the clock back, just give a bit of a summary of who you are, how you got into it. Because if we go back to sort of 2011, obviously, I know you were riding bikes before that, but you graduated through the Red Bull Rookies. You were the youngest ever British champion. You won the 125 Championship uh, in stunning fashion in, in 2011. You then won the Superstock Championship. Uh, in 2014, if memory serves me right. And then you really were springboarded, weren't you? Uh, Still sort of a teenager, but you got a great opportunity to do a World Supersport race. 
And I think everybody at Donington Park, including you know everybody that was working there, me included, we were going absolutely crazy because you were mixing it with the man of Supersport, Keenan Sofoglu. And um, it was just a dream weekend, wasn't it? Let's just talk about that weekend if we can, because that really did just cement your place. And everyone, you know, was like, who the bloody hell is this kid? Who's Carl Ride? Like, didn't know who you were. And there you are, just chopping the front off Keenan Sofoglu, who's not, not the, how can we say, not the calmest rider once he puts his helmet on, is he? I mean, he's, he's a machine, but uh, you, you were taking no prisoners that weekend. No, that was it. It was, I think... Um, I did myself good really by not having a clue what I just wanted to go in I knew who was racing in it I know how fast it was I've seen all the lap times and but I'd not really watched any races before from World Supersport obviously it'd come on on the telly but I'd never really pay any interest and um, it, it was really weird and uh, I just turned up I didn't I knew who was going to be fast but I've not seen any videos from the past of Softwoggers like just passing four people at once and being an absolute animal on the brakes and this, that and the other. I just so you went mean in. You'd never, you mean you'd never seen Sofoglu headbutting uh, Fabian Foray down the back straight in Aragon? You'd, you'd never seen any of that. So you didn't have a clue what was coming your way, mate. No, I knew how fast he was and I knew that he could be nasty at times, but I just thought I'm not going to be nowhere near him. So why are you bothered, if you know what I mean? So uh, I turned up. We've got the wild card. I think there's a few English riders there. I think Sam Hornsey was there as well, Luke Stapleford. So yeah. obviously my target was to beat them because they'd beat me in the BSB race a couple of weeks before or a couple of months before. I think I finished um, fourth and third and I think Stapleford may won a race. So I thought my target was with Luke. And uh, just from the get-go, really, it was a different experience. Everyone on the track was lightning fast, which I'd not really experienced before. And um, it was at my favourite track, still is my favourite track. And all weekend, really, just the bike was mint. I think I caught, uh, I didn't catch anyone up, sorry. I seen a couple of riders on track like Sofwoglu and Cluzel and understand where I needed to go faster. And come Saturday, I just felt really confident. I thought, you know what, I could actually get on the front row here. And uh, I put it second and I just put myself in a perfect position to just get away with the front group which was Cluzel and Sofoglu and that obviously got me a podium really because them first 15, no, 10 laps of getting away with them obviously destroyed the gap to everyone else. I think after a bit they pulled away and like, you know, Zanetti catched me up, which was a bit um, a bit heartbreaking at the time, but I managed to uh, screw my head on and get third place. And obviously the two riders that you mentioned, Sofoglu and, and Cluzel, I mean, they're the most experienced riders in super sports. Sofoglu, as you said, he's a, he's a bit of an animal when he puts his, his helmet on. Um, can you remember what he said to you on, on the Saturday? Um, you, you got on the front row of the grid and he, I, I remember it well because I looked down. And, but can you, can you actually remember what he said to you? I remember his facial expression. It was priceless. It was brilliant. He was, he yeah, was, I remember his face being priceless, but um, he just asked me what my name was. He'd not even looked at the timesheets or anything. <laughs> obviously, he'd seen... Um, he must have seen, obviously, my name on the timesheets, but he's never like thought about pronouncing it or saying it. And in Park Firm, he shook my hand and he says, what sh- how do you say your name? And I said, Kyle Ride. And he can never say Kyle to this day. It's always Kylie. So, um, but yeah, it was a... That's a, di- over- that's a different show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, only on yeah. a Friday, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, um, he asked me my name. He said, good job. 
good job all weekend. And then he said, um, be careful tomorrow. Don't knock me off. He says, follow me. And I says, no problem, we'll do. Uh, but you didn't follow him, did you? You stuffed him three or four times. It was brilliant. I, re- I remember it like it was yesterday. Even now I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. It was, I, just, I can't remember a super sport race in the UK where everybody was just willing you to get on the podium. Everybody, even people that weren't in your team were just willing you to get on the podium. And then you crossed the line and got on the podium. And uh, I mean, to stand with Cluzel and, and Sofoglu, I mean, that's going to be something that you can take with you for the rest of your life. Whatever you do in the future, whether you stay in BSB, whether you move back to World Championship, I mean, no one can, can ever take that away from you as a, as, a, as a teenager. You were the first wild card, I think, in about six years um, from Britain anyway to, to certainly get on a on a World Championship podium. And um, that was great. It was such a great weekend. It was. It, it was a great weekend. And I just, everything that comes with it, really, not so much the third place, but just like the lap times and stuff, I carry with me. And... Uh, like a 30.2 in qualifying. That was like, that's one thing that people don't look at. But to me, that's like a great achievement on a 600 round there. I think the only person that's gone faster than that is obviously Keenan on that day. I think he did the first ever 29 or something stupid, 29.9. And what I go, what I like is that when they keep going back there, they, they don't go faster than Keenan and what we did. So yeah, it's not, it's not as if, I turned up and finished third on the podium because the level wasn't great. It was the fastest it's ever been at Donington. So, yeah, fully. And nobody fell off. It wasn't like it was handed to you. You know, that's yeah, um, it's, it's a well earned, well earned podium. And obviously, the big difference this year is that we're now seeing slick tyres in, in World Super Sports. Um, I know we don't have slick tyres in, in the UK. We do obviously in the GP class, um, which is what you won, won last year, yeah. but a completely different bike. What's your thoughts about running the sort of race? race tyres, we can call it that, slick tyres on a, on a super sport bike. Does it, it changes the dynamic a little bit. We've seen that this year, haven't we, with certain riders just not being able to adapt as quickly. Cluzel, prime example, you know, lightning fast uh, for many, many years. So many times runner-up in the championship. Locatelli comes in from Moto2 having ridden on slicks. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's the only reason why Locatelli's winning races. He's clearly riding the bike well, but he hasn't had to adapt to to slicks it's it's something that he's been used to and I think we're seeing that aren't we you see the other riders coming through um Jan Onchu coming through and Odendahl and they just seem to be able to set the bike up a little bit easier than than the regular super sport guys I mean it's it's strange to think that tyres make such a difference yeah well obviously I just think the the slicks won't probably get the, the same temperature as a cut slick like what Cluzo's been riding on for the last eight years whatever it is so yeah some people in BSB have been struggling because the front tyre has changed from compared to last year. And uh, obviously me, I've just turned up and rode this year's tyres, so I just get used to that. But people riding the same bikes as what they was last year are struggling to adapt to the new tyre. So I think it's the same in every championship. They change something different every year. They add five mil to a back tyre or they make one side of the tyre harder than the left. And it's a lot to understand. But as you said... Locatelli's turned up and he's obviously riding a super sport bike that he thinks has been a super sport bike for the last six years where it's not. It's basically a brand new super sport bike. So if you imagine MotoGP when they went to Triumph, some people didn't like it, some people did. I almost think super sport's like that now because it's a completely yeah. new bike. Yeah, yeah. Slicks, make, slicks make the bike feel more rigid, like a Moto2 bike. There's more structure to him. And obviously Locatelli's been on one of them for three years. So 
if he'd have jumped on a super sport bike that had a 20 lap old SC2 knackered tyre with cuts in it, it'd be completely different maybe, but you, you never know because it's it's changed now and it's changed for good. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, it's a good way of uh, good way of putting it. Moving away then from from super sport, as you said, um, you then had a, a couple of couple of years, um, and then you decided, as you said earlier on, you walked away from the sport. You came back into the sport, and you came back into into the GP two class um, again. Lightning quick, you were mixing it with the super sport guys, and I think you became the first rider to win uh, a GP two race out, outright, yeah. um, which yeah. again is another fantastic achievement. This year, though, very different. You're full-time in the British Superbike Championship, which when you look down the list of riders and you look at the, the teams that are on that entry list, I mean, it's, it's not, a, not a slow championship. I know a lot of people saying this year, it's not the same, it's very different, blah, 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 blah. But you look at the list of riders that are on, on the grid in BSB, it is one hell of a strong field still. Yeah, I think it just gets stronger every year. There's, there's, I don't think there's every year where it gets worse. And if it does get worse, it's like, 0.15 a lap worse than the year before and that can be down to five degrees tra- track temperature or anything but I can understand why I mean Scott Redding last year was amazing is some of the tracks he'd never been to turned up and won won the championship in his first year so him disappearing I can understand people thinking that it's not going to be as good but you just got to think of it like it took until the last race of BSB last year for Scott Redding to beat Josh Brooks yeah. And Josh Brooks is on that bike again this year. And he's not leading the championship either. Someone else is, like Glenn Irwin. So it's it's a it's a very mixed field, as you know. And obviously, at the minute, I've been very consistent and I'm in fourth. And there's some people in sixth or seventh that have been a little bit quicker than me overall, but they fell off or something's happened. So, and with it being six races as well, six rounds, anything can happen, as anyone knows. And it's very close at the minute, so we'll soon yeah. find out five or six weeks. Yeah, and there's no showdown as well this year as well. So for those listening, the BSB Championship is very, very different. Uh, normally in most championships, two or four wheels, it's the rider at the end of the year with the most points that wins the championship. BSB, several years ago, they introduced a showdown, um, probably because of Leon Camier, if we're honest. Uh, Camier just dominated the championship, ran away with it by, you know, won every race, I think, barring three or four races. So they introduced a showdown, which meant that... It, the midway point or three quarters of the way through the season, the top six riders would all be reset with 500 points and it would be a shootout. Six riders, only six riders could win the championship. As it stands now, of course, this year with COVID, there is no showdown. They've cancelled it for, for this year. What's your thoughts about that? Because I guess it's maybe maybe mixed feelings. I mean, or maybe not, because as you said, you've been very consistent. You're fourth in the championship. You're close to second. You could still win the championship this year um, and you could still win the championship as standalone with points or in the showdown? What's your feelings as a, as a rider? Do you prefer the old style or the... the, the... Oh, it's To me, it makes no odds because I've never done a showdown before. It's always been how many points you get. But at the same time, you see how much hype the showdown gets. And at the minute, I'm in fourth and you think, if it did have it, maybe I was in the showdown, but it's not about that. It's I think um, when the showdown was occurring for the last couple of years, most people didn't really like it anyway because people like Leon Aslam and stuff, I think maybe even lost the championship to Shaky Burn. Because because, of the showdown. Yeah, yeah. Because of the showdown. Not because of the showdown, but it was part of it. Yeah. He had some some bad luck, etc. But I think he was like 80 points in front before the showdown. And when they reset, he only had a few more podiums than Shaky and it, it, 
took the gap from 80 points to like 21 or something stupid, yeah. which is not yeah. it's not very fair because it's like two race wins just being took out of your pocket and giving someone else. So I'm not really fussed. I think obviously next year they'll probably put it straight back in. But um, you just got to take it as it comes. Not a clue really, but they might even they might even go back to normal. You you just don't know, do you? Yeah, no, that's it. And obviously, we, we spoke a little bit beforehand, and you were saying, you know, life in the paddock is. Don't want to talk too much about coronavirus because hopefully we're coming through the end of it. But from your point of view, once you put the helmet on, the only difference is there isn't really anybody at the side of the track waving. I guess everything else, session wise and race wise, the build up is the same. And once the visor goes down, you mean you don't really have time to look at. You know, you're not going down Craner curves looking to see if your your family or your your auntie or your girlfriends in the cr- the crowd anyway. Are you focused on the racing? So um, I guess it doesn't really. Yeah. It's um, it's it's pretty weird to be honest. I mean, Donington Park wasn't too bad because the track's that fast and undulating down Craner curves. The like, I think the only place you really notice crowd is like out of Redgate going towards down Craner. But at Snetterton and Silverstone, obviously, it's a lot easier to spot people. Uh, and obviously, it was just dead, completely dead. No people there, so. 21 watching, obviously, we miss all the fans and can't wait for them to come back. But at the same time, as you said, we're doing 170 mile an hour on a 220 horsepower beast. The last thing we're worried about is a uh, little flag that uh, someone's put up. And it's a shame they can't turn up and sit in the sun and watch the racing. But for now, obviously, they've just got to watch it on the telly. You do realise when fans come back, though, there's going to be a great big sign that says, Go Kylie, go, or something like that at the side of something the Something like that, yeah. You do <laughs> set yourself up for that, haven't you? Yeah. Best, best one wins with competition <laughs> <laughs> and, and joking aside that you do a lot of competitions with your fans don't you on social media I've seen that side of you come out a little bit more in recent years you're interacting a lot more with the fans and I guess that again just comes with with confidence but it's a massive part of the sport now isn't it being able to interact and talk to the fans yeah that's, that's, I think um, it's good for your head um, it's good to give some back as well um, like the competition I put on the other day really I've got my own sponsors that have set out to do whatever for this for this year only. And I've just got a space on my arm. And I just thought, obviously, I asked all my other sponsors first. You wouldn't mind if I give it as like, because obviously they're thinking I've paid for this and then it's just going to give it away to someone else. So I cleared it with that first. But after the support I got from Silverstone, I just thought just giving something back wouldn't go amiss. And uh, yeah, I just told everyone to that wants to go to email me the the logo and the business company and just pick it out of art and they can go on the on the levers for the rest of the year so if anyone's listening to this and obviously they want to get involved or they want to start following you on social maybe some some fans are thinking you know okay good let's let's follow this lad let's see how he's doing um how, how can they get in touch with you on on social obviously I know you're on twitter you're on instagram how, how can they follow you so the competition is on my facebook and my instagram i think my instagram's it's got a dot in it it's kyleride.77 and on there, there's literally instructions for everything. It's very simple. Just to uh, my emails on there on the Instagram page, just to email it to. And uh, but whenever this is going out, I'm, I'm um, I don't know when it will be, but uh, the competition finishes tomorrow night, and then I'm obviously going to try and get a badge put on for this weekend at Alton Park. So quickly ah, okay. can so, do it. So it finishes tonight or tomorrow night? Tomorrow night. Okay, yeah. So we this we're recording this on Monday. It'll go out on Wednesday. So maybe people won't be able to enter the competition, but they can still follow you, right? I mean, we, we yeah, they can still follow you, following you and getting in touch and, and whatever. Um, obviously, you're at Alton Park uh, 
this weekend. Um, thoughts about Oldham uh, on on the Suzuki? Um, I can't wait. I know it's going to be a lot tougher than Silverstone, uh, physically wise, because obviously the track's half the size of Silverstone, and uh, there's a lot more up and downs, a lot more bumps, and a couple of chicanes, and obviously two eighteen lap races on Sunday is going to be very difficult. Um, but I'm ready for it. I think I'm I'm the fittest I've been ever, really. Uh, I've shown that. Obviously, people I know some people thought I maybe wouldn't be able to cut it this year doing three races and me personally didn't think I'd be able to do it either I got as fit as I could be but there's nothing better than being bike fit and uh, you get as fit as whatever whatever you do you get fit but when you get on a super bike and you have to ride it for half an hour as fast as you can you can't train them muscles anywhere else except riding a bike so I think every time I get on the bike I'm fitter if you know what I mean because I've I've done several weekends on it so, yeah, I think it'll be good. Just need to get three point scoring finishes, I think, and I should set myself good up for Donington and Brands. You touched on something there, which is I think is always quite interesting. Obviously, I've been involved in the sport for 15 years or, or more than that, but um, you talk about being bike fit and gym fit. For someone that rides the bike on the road or you know anyone that's listening that doesn't really understand, there's a massive difference, isn't there, between going to the gym and working out for an hour or two hours or whatever you do in the gym and riding a bike for 30 minutes, as you said. Um, you're working different muscles. Your brain is working completely differently. Yeah. Adrenaline going, which you don't normally get in, in, in the gym. Can you put that into some kind of context for those, those listening? Just how different is it? So to put it like plain and simple, it's like I know full well there's a lot of people that are fit in the gym and they could have taken me and they will be a lot better than me in the gym and they probably will be a lot better than most riders in the gym. But... There's so many little things that go with it. If you can get really strong arms to get on your bike, but then you get arm pump because your arms are too big for your for your mass and they pump up and then they like tight on your leathers, then you can't hold on. And there's been a lot of talk throughout the last couple of years, as you'll know, people that do a lot of gym work or they might go rock climbing or something. Like they get arm pump and then it's not a nice feeling, but like I said, and you said, it's in your brain and you can't do anything else to um, replicate what you do on a bike for 30 minutes, brain-wise, because you're doing 170 mile an hour. You're training at the same time because you're training loads of muscles. Your heart beats at like 170. And um, it's a lot to process. So when you're finished for the weekend, if you want to go mountain biking on Tuesday, it feels a little bit similar because you're still concentrating, but... It's completely nothing like what it is riding a, a bike for 30 minutes. So the only thing you can do is what people do training-wise is get a motocross bike and they'll go training for 30 minutes or they've got a practice bike and they'll do the same for 30 minutes and that's probably the best way to get yourself bike fit. Yeah, no, no for sure. I think you've, you've explained that really well. Obviously, we've been chatting for 23, 24 minutes. We're, we're sort of coming to the end of the interview. I mean, you know me, I can... I can chat for England. I can keep going. But uh, <laughs> what does the what does the future hold for for you, Kyle? Obviously, this year, obviously, we wish you well for the rest of the season. But twenty twenty one is the plan to to stay in BSB. Is the plan to stay with the same team? A wild card in World Superbike. I mean, are we going to see the first ever wild card Supersport finisher become the first ever wild card Superbike finisher in the last <laughs> uh, seven or eight years? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't see why not. I'd obviously love to do the experience and uh, yeah, but as you said, my plans for 2021 is to stay in BSB. I've not spoke about 
anything with what team or nothing like that. I've um, just want to click off these last three rounds, do what I'm doing now, and um, yeah, then I'll start talking. And um, hopefully, I'll, it'd be a no-brainer really to stay with the same team because I've done, I've overachieved my own personal achievements. If you know what I mean, my my own goals for this year, I've 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 outweighed them. And I can only think that it's because of the bike and the team and everything that's gone with it. We've just gelled really well. Confidence is high. And yeah, I think it'd be a bit silly really to go elsewhere. But yeah, we'll get these three rounds clicked off and then uh, see what we've got to do. Good job. Well, as you say, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. So uh, for those listening, it looks like Kyle is going to stay in BSB next year. He's got a great chance of getting some more wins, get some more podiums this year. And who knows, um, we may have just interviewed the British Superbike champion. Who knows? Not saying nothing yet. <laughs> I'm always putting the commentator's curse on someone, so I'm saying absolutely nothing uh, apart from thank you for joining us, Kyle. Um, it's been a pleasure to catch up as always. Keep in touch, buddy. Keep it on two wheels and um, we will catch up over the course of the, the next six months or so and uh, maybe get you back on once we know what you're doing next year. Yep, perfect. Thanks, Michael. Great. Cheers, Kyle. Take care, buddy. Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. My final guest this week is Argentinian rider Leandro Tati Mercado, as he's uh, more affectionately known as. Uh, Tati, uh, good to see you. Of course, uh, not riding in the last race following a, a collision uh, at uh, Aragon, the first round uh, of Aragon. Uh, firstly, how are you? Hi, Michael. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm getting better with my injury, my ankle. Um, it's a shame I, I missed the last race and uh, last round in Aragon. But the important thing, I'm getting ready for Barcelona. My ankle is getting better. Still a little bit swollen, but uh, I feel better. And I guess it's safe to say that Tom Sykes is not on the Christmas card list. You're not going to be buying him a present anytime soon. <laughs> no, not for sure. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, I don't have any problem with him. Um, it was uh, a mix of things what happened in Aragon. Uh, I only was waiting for a message from him, but anyway, uh, that's it. the important thing. I'm okay. I'm ready for next round in Barcelona. Absolutely. Looking forward to uh, to seeing you there in a few days. Obviously, we are recording this episode of the Vroom podcast just literally 48 hours before we fly out uh, to Spain. Um, a new team for you this year in terms of a full-time team in the World Championship, Motocorsa Ducati. Uh, we've seen them in the championship as a wildcard in the past. Uh, a great opportunity for you um, this year with, uh, with this team. Unfortunately, you got injured. But prior to that, there were some really positive steps. Yes. Um... You know, it's a new team, a really motivated team. 
and I'm very happy with uh, the race with them with Moto Corsa. I, uh, it's not it's not easy to start like um, from zero, like everything new. Uh, last year they did the uh, two wild cars and uh, Imola and Misano to get ready for this season. But when you make the full season, uh, it's different, and you have many things to 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 learn. Uh, as a, I'm speaking as a team, uh, and get experience and and to know better the, the bike because the Ducati is, have a really good potential, uh, but it's not easy bike to to make to set up and to make a work really good. But you know we are trying things, trying um, uh, we are improving step by step, and the first the first race uh, we we struggling a little bit uh, to find a good uh, setting and to find a good uh, feeling with the bike. But you know we are um, growing, growing up uh, in in different aspects. Uh, we know that our potential is much better than our results. And we make some tests before the, the, the season, and we were getting better. We, we test at Barcelona, the feeling was okay, but you know, after the race weekend, uh, we couldn't make the um, uh, a good step, and we make some mistake. And my feeling was really good with, with the bike. And, and this year, the level on super bikes is really, really high compared with other years. So everything has to work. Um, really good to to be fast and and, not, and during the all the laps but you know we are trying our best and we know that we can uh, be a um, very position so we are working really hard no absolutely and it's, it's great to see a new team in the championship obviously you've been in world world superbike not just in in the superbike class but you've been in the paddock for for a few years now i mean uh, for those that are listening that don't know who you are? Um, firstly, why don't they know who you are? Because uh, you've been uh, you've been fast for, for most of your career. Um, you were the uh, 2014 Superstock 1000 champion, and I know that a lot of people have been asking um, and been commenting, saying, "Ah, oh, it's, it's such a shame that the Superstock category doesn't exist anymore because it was a perfect stepping stone uh, to move into into Superbike." Uh, and you certainly found that, didn't you? I mean, uh, it was a great championship against some great riders. And it just made that transition into superbikes a little bit easier. Yes, I think the Stock 1000 was a really good class. Mm, the step before of superbike, and because sometimes from super sport to superbike, the, the step is really big about the bike, the power, and everything. So, what's the? I think the, the mid step from 600 to superbike, uh, the mid like perfect step, the mid step. And a lot of riders came from the super stock. If we look now, it's like uh, Lars Bass and Toprak, Michael, Rinaldi, me, uh, Barrier. Like a lot of riders came from the super stock 1000. It's, I think was a really good class, and to because you learn to be fast with a stock bike uh, with more 200 horsepower. So. Uh, I think it was a really good uh, class um, to go to Superbike then. So it's a shame that it's not anymore. Yeah, and what was the biggest difference? Because again, we have a lot of listeners who, who ride motorcycles on the road and a lot of fans around the world that are watching 
Superbike, not just in the World Championship, but Moto America, BSB, and, and sometimes all the different rules, it gets a little bit confusing, even for us on the inside. But in, in simple terms, the, the Superstock bike was a bike that you could go along to your local dealer, you buy it off the showroom floor, you take the lights off it. Okay, there's a few more things that you do, but basically it's a road bike, right? Uh, with very limited um, electronics. Yes, it's um, like a, st a street bike. Uh, of course, have a lot of a lot of work because you have to adapt the original bike to the track. But uh, the base was like the street bike that you can go to the dealer and, and ride. But you know, we we work a lot uh, with the suspension, especially to to the electronic uh, to adapt the street bike to the race. But no, no more. And so it was a really good class. Then and superbike is another history, you know, another, another, uh, you have many things to, to work. The, the bike are quite, quite, quite different and you have more tires, pension, the power, electronic is another different bike. Uh, but the stock 1000 uh, was suspension, electronic, and maybe a little bit of the engine, maps, and, and that's it. No, absolutely. Obviously, Tati, we've been friends for, for a long time, and you know from, from my job in the paddock show that I do like statistics quite a lot. Maybe too much. That's probably why too I, much, too I much. don't have any friends. That's why I don't go out. But uh, um, I was watching Moto America um, this season quite a lot because I got involved with Moto America last year. And, and an interesting fact is that back in uh, 2009, uh, 11 years ago, um, you were the 2009 AMA Supersport um, champion, I think it was. Um, so you've yeah. got an experience there and of course 11 years later I don't know if you've been watching Moto America but Richie Escalante uh, another non-American on a Kawasaki is dominating um, the Moto America championship can you can you remember racing in Moto America back then I mean uh, what 11 years ago you must have been what 17 16? 17 yes yeah I mean you were just a kid I mean you're you're an old man now yeah <laughs> I'm getting old <laughs> <laughs> yes I have a really good memory um, in the Moto America, I was in, uh, in the factory Kawasaki Super Sport, and it was my second year uh, away from Argentina because 2008 I did the Rookies Cup, AMA Rookies Cup, and then 2009 I went to Super Sport, and, and, and then it was everything new, so the tracks and uh, to learn many things, uh, but it was a really great experience uh, racing with a lot of fast riders and was in a factory team. Um, I have a really good memory there because I, I was, I've been living there in California. So I was full time there in America. And I really enjoyed it a lot. I learned too many things. And I, I raced only one year in super sport there. So I can believe, you know, after 11 years, um, Another rider with Kawasaki, North American, is, is there. Uh, it's, it's really good for, for the championship. And uh, Moto America is a great, uh, great championship, great level. And also the tracks are quite difficult technical tracks. And that, uh, I learned a lot there. Yeah, and obviously I've, I've been fortunate last year to get involved with Moto America a little bit and working with, with Wayne Rainey and, and Chuck Axland. And, and Wayne was, was my hero as a kid, so uh, you can imagine... Yeah. When, uh, when they said, hey, you want to come and work with Wayne? I'm like, 
are you, are you joking? Of course I want to come <laughs> like a dream. Uh, but they've done a lot, haven't they, in the last few years? I mean, back in the day when you were riding there, the championship was strong. And then it went through this sort of phase, didn't it, where it lost a lot of interest, it lost a lot of support. Um, but now, certainly over the last five or six years, um, it's coming strong again. And we see some big names, big teams, factory Yamahas. Um, Tony Elias, of course, is, is, is in Superbike, Cambobier. Um, you know, uh, to, to mention other riders, Gagne, of course, who you've raced with. Yes. So, so, so many big names. But the circuits there, I always find we've got uh, similar to, to BSB. You have two or three what I would call world-class circuits. Um, and that's not to say that the rest of the circuits aren't decent circuits, but they're, it's a completely different riding style, isn't it? I mean, we just, I just saw the race yesterday from New Jersey and you just think, wow, like, you know, or even Sonoma back in uh, last year when I went and you think, how the hell yes. are they racing here? Like with water this <laughs> close, it's, 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 it's very strange. But really, it's really strange too. Yes, really, really strange. And also the, 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 the riding style, the, the reference points, everything is different because of, like you say, like Sonoma, you have the, the, the walls like right there, you know, you are in the exit, the last corner, you have the, the wall there. And, and also really technical tracks because they are bumpy and, and like all the circuits are like plain, they like pick up and down. So to learn the track there at the beginning was like difficult because of this, you know, you have a, the walls, they are a blind corner, like you can see anything, <laughs> and maybe big bump and, and danger of one corner. So you have to, to learn many things when you go for the first time in, in, in the track over there. And I think one of the track I get impressed was uh, Rota, Robot Atlanta. It was a really long track and really technical track. And so in the beginning I was like lost, and then I was getting getting better, and then I think I won the race in, in that year. But in the beginning, the first practice, I was like lost in the track. Yeah, there's quite a few tracks. I remember last year also going to to Road America, which is another super long circuit. Bridges yes. are, uh, up and down, left and right, and and the track is almost like three minutes long, and you just think, bloody hell! Yes. When is this track going to end? It's uh, it's completely crazy, but. I think, I mean, you'd probably agree that, you know, it really annoys me when people watching on the television and they say, oh, the, the depth of field is really poor. There's no, there's no talent in America. And it's like, are you crazy? Like, look at the lap times this year that the guys are doing. In every category, they're breaking lap records. So it's probably the fastest that Moto America's ever been. I mean, we've seen lap records even in, in Junior Cup, in Twins Cup, in Superstock 1000, which they still have in America. Um, we are seeing lap records in the States Week in, week out, even in the warm up, I think Cameron Bobier set a new circuit record in the morning warm up. Warm up. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, the, the, the talent in America is really high, and, and we're seeing that this year with, with Garrett, Garrett Gerloff, who you've raced on track with. I mean, he's showing that you know you can come here, no experience of the Pirelli tyres, and you can fight for the top 10 in the world championship. So the level is high in America. Yeah, of course, it's high, you know. Superbike and uh, the top, the top uh, riders and Superbike and, and uh, Moto America, they are really, really fast. And Bobier is showing that it's really, really fast. And also Tony, Elias, and they are, like you say, they are going really, really fast in all the tracks. So the level is really high. Uh, I mean, maybe before, some years ago, they have more factory teams. Now it's a bit less, but the level is still 
to win, to win is the level is really high and difficult, you know, to, to win a race there. Yeah, I mean, obviously your focus at the moment is to, to stay in the World Superbike Championship and, and we hope that you do in, in, in 2021 as well, wherever that may be. Any thoughts further down the line to maybe go back to America? Would you, would you maybe like to, to go back to America maybe on a Superbike in the future? Yes, um, well, um, my, my goal is to stay in, in Superbike and, and to do better and give my 100% about everything because now I'm struggling a little bit and and I'm not in my full potential, so I feel that. Uh, but maybe in the future, it's one championship I always uh, look and I always uh, I'm um, I always like it and I have really good memories and so why not? Uh, are we concerned to to go there? Yeah, if I can go, stay, uh, if I, I can stay in Superbike in the yeah. World Championship. I mean, let's hope, of course, that for the for the next few years at least, you do stay in uh, in World Superbike. Uh, you mentioned Michael Ruben Rinaldi. He's of course now a, a race winner. Um, you've you've raced with Michael. You've beaten Michael. So you've got to know that when when all this piece of pieces of the jigsaw come together, that you you still believe that you can fight at the front of, of the World Superbike Championship. Yes, yeah, so Rinaldi. This year, make a really good step, and he went really fast in the past races, and he won the, the race in Aragon. Like he did a really good job, and I know that um, I'm I can be faster. I can fight for better position. I want to be in the front because I know I can do it. So we have to put everything together yet. And I know that it's, uh, everything is new, the team, and the, also for the, my crew chief, mechanics, it's the first time in Superbike. So it's not easy to go, uh, you are right to Superbike and go in the front. But we are working a lot and really hard. And, and I know we have the potential to, to be uh, inside the top 10 always. Talking about the, the top 10, I want to um, just very briefly touch on the Argentinian race in San Juan, um, which for those that are listening, uh, World Superbike made uh, its first journey to Argentina a couple of years ago. And um, I have such great memories of, of that event, uh, not just last year, but the first year we went, but particularly last year, Tati, um, because uh, a lot of the staff, uh, myself included, we flew out a, a couple of days early. We, we spent a couple of days in, in, uh, in Buenos Aires which is a fantastic uh, city. Um, and, and for you as an Argentinian, the, the sole rider in World Superbike, finally, you got to, to race in front of your home crowd. And I rem remember the first year, there was probably 80,000 people all cheering your name. And, and it, yeah. it, it was crazy. I always remember when people talk to me about the, the security that we have in Italy to, uh, to, to not protect, but to, to distance the, the fans um, and it's the only circuit I can remember, Imola uh, and Mizano, where we, we do have security at the paddock show to keep the fans from going crazy at the, at the stage. But in Argentina, you needed like a bodyguard. I mean, it was <laughs> it was completely insane. Everybody just waving flan flags and, and shouting your name. And, you know, I remember the first year for sure. And then the second year last year, um, I think you guys practically smashed the stage. There was probably... 300 people on the stage all singing a special song and going absolutely crazy and I remember Jonathan Ray just looking going 
what the hell happened? And we're like, oh, Tati yeah. was sixth. And he's like, yeah, but I won the race. And I'm like, yeah, but nobody's interested. Everybody just wants Tati. It was <laughs> for you. I mean, obviously, I can see your face on, on the video that we're recalling this, but what a fantastic event it was in San Juan. Obviously, we're not there this year. I hope that we, we do get to go back. But real passion for motorsport. And um, that must give you such a buzz when you have that many people cheering for you. Yes, it's, it's incredible, incredible feeling. For me, 2018, the first year the Superbike went to Argentina was my first year uh, racing in, in a home race for the World Championship. Uh, because the last time I raced in Argentina was 2007, and then I went to race in America. So I didn't race anymore in Argentina. So it was, again, like my first time uh, for a long time I, go, I, I raced in Argentina. And it was uh, really emotional because, uh, like you say, like 80,000 80, people around the track, cheering, and uh, in the back of my in the garage was like full people. And it was crazy, you know, because uh, I didn't expect, I didn't, I didn't know um, what to expect about this. Uh, and the second year was really crazy because I, I make a really good race, starting from the last position, arriving, I arrived seven, I think, or six, seven. And all the people was like really, really crazy. And also the paddock show, and really emotional. Also, Saturday night when I went to the restaurant to eat, like all the people like their pictures and, and cheering and it was uh, really special in Argentina. And they have a, a lot of passion from the motor sport, also for the home riders, and make uh, this uh, really special. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember. Um, I'm, I mean, I remember very well the, the paddock show. I remember almost having to go to the dentist. Yes. Uh, and uh, you, now you remember. I'm sure you do. But, uh, yes. I'm sure there's quite a few people over the years that have wanted to punch me in the face. But uh, uh, you, you, you let rip with the Prosecco bottle. And I, I just don't think that you'd, uh, you'd quite got the, the hang of how quickly that cork would come out. And for those that don't know what we're talking about, um, Tati came onto the stage. He was presented with an award from the mayor of, uh, of San Juan. Uh, there was thousands of people in front of the stage. And... Um, completely in the moment, weren't you? You were completely overwhelmed. Everyone was crying. It was very, very emotional. And I just remember handing Tati Mercado this huge, huge bottle of Prosecco Doc and um, Tati spinning around and jumping up and down, at which point the cork decided to fire out of the bottle straight into my teeth. And, yes. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm still them, mate, but they are still there. But uh, it, was, it was incredible. And, and I th the thing that always surprised me the most is you kind of looked for a, a split second and went, oh, you're okay, and then just ran into the crowd, like completely left me nursing like a, a broken a broken face. It was so funny. <laughs> you didn't give a shit about me at all, did you? You didn't care. No, no, no. <laughs> and then I have, a, I have a video that I, I look, I can see perfect when the, the, the core like jump. Yeah. And hit your face. And smack me in the perfect. face. Perfect. Your face was, oh! <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I remember. Even, really yeah, painful. I so. video. It was so funny. So, so funny, fun, yes. I might have to yes. share that. When, when this episode goes out on Wednesday, we might have to put another tag underneath and share the video again because it, it was funny. It's one of the memories I will always have from, uh, from San Juan. But uh, also a big shout out to my dentist because the teeth stayed in, mate. Nothing was damaged. Incredible. You, you have really good teeth. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Tati, obviously, I know we're coming to the end of the interview and I know we've got to keep it uh, to a certain time because you've got to go off to, to physio and stuff before uh, before Catalonia. What are your thoughts about the, the rest of the season? Obviously, we've got Catalonia this weekend uh, where we'll catch up. Then we've got a couple of weekends off and we go to uh, to France to the Manicourt circuit in, uh, in Nevers. Possibility of rain there, of course, because we're a little bit later in the season, so we might get a wet race. And then we end the season... Um, in Estoril, uh, it's a long time since World Superbike has been to Estoril. I think 93, 94 was the last time that, that World Superbike was there. Um, maybe a, a level playing field because nobody's tested there. I know that Kawasaki wanted to test and Dorner have said, no, there is no testing happening at, um, at Estoril. Everybody goes there fresh, which is, which is good, I think, from the championship's point of view. Yes, it's, it's good. It's a positive thing that nobody knows the track and nobody has the data uh, so we start like in the same level, everyone. So that's a really good thing. Uh, I never been in Estoril, I never ride there. So I'm looking forward to these last three races. Uh, in Catalonia, we did a test in, in July uh, for the first time. So it was really good for me. I went quite fast, the feeling was okay. So I'm looking forward. And also, Magni course. Uh, you know, you never know what can happen with the weather there. Uh, Nestoril, you know, we start like the same, like I said, the same level, and we see. You know, it's a new track. Uh, will be really interesting for the championship. And I want to to put all together and all the things we learn in in these past races and and take the, the best things and put all together and make a step and be competitive. Well, I'm sure it will be a fascinating end of the season. Nine races left, three rounds in the uh, World Superbike Championship. Uh, Tati Mercado will be back on track for Moto Corsa Ducati in those three rounds. And uh, Tati, I'm not going to talk too much longer because I know you've got to get off to, uh, to physio and get fit. But uh, thank you very much for, for joining us on this, uh, this podcast. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the paddock Wednesday or Thursday. And please don't bring any Prosecco. <laughs> no, Prosecco maybe after the last race. So yeah. you have time to fix your tea. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Mate, always good talking to you. Have a good flight to, uh, to Catalonia and I'll see you, uh, see you at the track in a couple of days. Okay, mate. Thank you. See you in Catalonia. See you, mate. Ciao. A big thanks once again to Kyle Ride and to Leandro Tati Mercado for joining us on episode 12 of Vroom. Make sure you've downloaded uh, the podcast and that you've listened to the previous episodes because next week it is episode 13 where we have two more stars of the motorsport world waiting to entertain you. Room. Your weekly Motorsport Fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Room Media. The music is by The Rain Dogs and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions.